Welcome to Adventure Rider Radio Raw, a spin-off of Adventure Rider Radio that we do each month. Both Adventure Rider Radio and Raw are produced by Elizabeth Martin and myself, Jim Martin. We also produce another podcast called Beyond a Shadow, and links to all of these shows are available at our website, adventureriderradio.com. On this episode of Raw, we have a special guest dropping in for the show. The Rixes are on a trip, and they'll be checking in um, from that trip while they're on it. We're going to be discussing following your gut feelings when you travel, um, times when it works and times when it completely fails you. Do you have your ducks in a row as well for when the shit hits the fan? Do you have the relevant contact information, and what is the relevant contact information that these travelers are carrying with them that will help them through those tough situations coming up on today's episode? Adventure Rider Radio is powered by some ads and very importantly, your support. And it's Adventure Rider Radio that keeps raw going. So we have a support page set up at AdventureRiderRadio.com. And I think $10 or more is going to get you a ARR sticker sent back at you for your penny or your gas tank or something. And I think $50 or more gets you a mention on this show, our raw show right now. Um, That's if you want it, you can opt out for that as well. So for this month, we have some supporters that have donated uh, $50 or more um, to you. Uh, to keep the show going and I want to give a shout out to them right now it's Ian Huggins and Tom Rick thank you very much for your support now um, if you're a supporter of Adventure Rider Radio no matter how much you support with we really appreciate that of course so thank you all for your support for the show whether it's through single amounts or whether you're on our patron support crew um, a little from each of you makes a huge difference for producing Adventure Rider Radio and Raw and um you know, on average, uh, we put out four or five ARR raw episodes each month, uh, depending on how many weeks there are, of course, in it, and one raw episode. So it's quite a bit of production to do each month. I, I hope you have an idea from what we're producing just how serious we take this and um, how much time and work goes into the every every episode we do. And, and that's why we hope that you look at that and think, okay, well, I want to support with a, a certain amount. Just drop by the website, adventureriderradio.com forward slash support. Now here we go, ARR Raw for August 2018. I'm ready. I'm ready. Yep, ready, steady. From the Canoe West Media Studio, deep in the bush of a sweltering Ontario summer day in Canada, it's August 2018, and welcome to Adventure Rider Radio Raw. Roundtable discussions about motorcycles, travel, and anything else that crosses our mind, completely unscripted, raw, and personal. My name's Jim Martin, and today at the virtual roundtable, afforded through the magic of the internet, I'm joined by most of our regular Overland co-host and a guest. So I think we're going to start here with our guest. Um, Steph Jevons has sort of just returned, I think, a few months back from riding her CRF um, 250 around the world, covering 74,000 miles, going through 53 countries and seven continents, one of them uh, being Antarctica. Steph is actually from Canada, but it seems she has a bit of an odd accent for a Canadian. I need to get Steph to defend that one herself. Steph, welcome to Adventure Rider Radio Raw. Thank you very much. Pleasure to be here. So what's the deal with the accent? 
Well, I was born in Canada, but I, I lost my Canadian accent when I moved out when I was five. So mm. my parents brought me over to Wales. So then I picked up a Welsh accent, and then I and then as I got older, I moved up the coast and 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 kind of lost that as well. I think, although some might say otherwise. You should have heard it before, though. The Welsh one was the worst. It was very strong Welsh accent. <laughs> well, I wonder if so. a Canadian accent is is one of the easiest to lose because Grant Johnson, who we're going to go to next year in Canada, Grant, you also had uh, a bit of an accent at different points of your your traveling time, anyway. Well, well, living ten years in the UK, or no, eleven, twelve years in the UK, and five years in Australia, you pick up a little bit, but I don't think you really. Once you get older, you really lose it. But you do pick up words and bits of accent and flavors of saying thing, I think. Mm. Where are you right now, Grant? Right now, I'm at, at home here in beautiful Abbotsford, B.C. We've got a bit of smoke, but other than that, it's really nice. Well, you're kind of getting a heat wave too, aren't you? Uh, it's been variable. It was cool yesterday, but supposedly we're going to be over 30 again for the next four or five days. Mm. Wow. We had 37 here the other day, which for, B- for Abbotsford is hot. And way over in the UK, we have Sam Manicom up bright-eyed and bushy-tailed at 6 a.m., I believe it is, Sam? <laughs> no, 6 p.m. I was just saying what a civilized time of recording it is, because normally it's 5 a.m. for me, so 6 p.m. is absolutely fantastic. I tell you what, one of the things that's going to be really nice for me about recording this show is that you remember when we used to record it and I'd be um, recording at 9 o'clock, and that meant that halfway through the show, I could crack open the bottle of scotch. Um, I have my scotch ready because by the time we're half through the way through this show, the sun is going to be over the yard arm. <laughs> well, I've already poured my gin and tonic. Go on, you go. Very good. And now we're, that we're talking about alcohol, it brings me to Graham Field. Graham, good afternoon, morning. I, I don't know what time it is anymore. <laughs> if I put a cue to belch then, it would have been perfect, wouldn't it? <laughs> <laughs> what time is it there? The same as it is. For Sam, because I'm in the UK. I just got back here yesterday. So ah. I'm sitting in the dispatch room right now, talking on my tiny pink laptop, which seems to be able handling the bandwidth okay, but I can't have any other windows open. So I'll be doing no researching or double checking my facts as I speak. So imagine that. Ooh, wow. That could get risky. I know why you're in the UK. You're there for a birthday party. Uh, <laughs> what, what, me mum's? Yeah. Yeah, it was the dispatch department's birthday yesterday. And um, the idea was I was going to come over for a birthday. But then having booked my flight, we decided she'd come to Bulgaria first. So we actually flew back on her birthday. So it was a kind of a traveling birthday. But um, so that was kind of fun. All, uh, although my present was slightly better than hers because I bought a new bike off of eBay about six weeks ago and I only got to lay my eyes on it yesterday. So um, while she's looking for opening her cards, I'm drooling over me new bike. <laughs> What's the bike? Well, it's kind of a secret. Um, it was one of those spontaneous eBay purchases. But the story is, right, someone lent me this book or gave me this book called Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And it's kind of one of these American sort of money motivated, business motivated, but also life motivated books. And what I got from it was spend it now. You could die tomorrow. So based on that synopsis, I went out and bought a 2016 Triumph Thruxton R. It's show of forks and the Olin suspension, and it is as cold as hell. I love the Thruxton. I'm so jealous. So it's beautiful. I've been out on it all day, and I'm going to be riding back to the area. That book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, doesn't say that at all. That's not what he's talking about. (laughs) It said, said, what you need to do is buy a Triumph Thruxton. Suck the inheritance for your offsprings. (laughs) 
to tell you that. <laughs> Selective so, reading then, Graham. I think so. <laughs> Very well done reading, in my opinion. <laughs> at the end of every chapter, there's little notes. It's like, and then at the end, you join up the dots. And it was like T. R-I-U-M. <laughs> the book has spoken to me. <laughs> so, Graham, does this thing have knobblies on? <laughs> no, no, it's uh, um, Pirelli Diablo courses. It's, um, oh, my God, it's, it really is lovely. Uh, oh, I, I, I could enthuse about it for the whole show. but have it, and it, Oh, and it's only died, did, when I got on it this morning, it only had 758 miles. I have never wow. had such a new vehicle. Wow. <laughs> what year is it? 2016. If, in fact, if you look on eBay, there's a bunch of people selling Thruxtons, most of which have less than 3,000 miles on it. Most, I would assume, are my age, <laughs> have these teenage dreams, but 50s bodies. <laughs> <laughs> and I was so pleased when I got on it and I thought, oh, this is too bad. I think having done yoga all this year, I think it's paying back so I can, I can ride it without getting off going, oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> so, Jim, what, what Graham's trying to say is if he suddenly disappears, um, he's disappeared off into his dreaming and drooling. And if we hear the sound of running water, that's the drooling going on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. When are we going to do calf race rider radio? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that'll be next. <laughs> well, we don't have the Rixes with us um, because they're actually traveling right now. They're um, in the UK on their, their little adventure, and they're hopefully going to come in in a little while. So we'll wait for them to show up and then add them in. But meanwhile, we'll get going. Um, and and our, our subject today is dealing with gut feelings. And I, I think that probably there, there would be very few travelers that... Um, aren't really connected with this topic, with using their gut feelings and following their gut feelings, and also the times when we don't. There are uh, times where we, we get certain gut feelings and we don't follow them and, and bad things happen, but that's not always the case either. So it's, um, it's not really a science. This is a bit of an art. And I think um, all of you travelers have said before, or most of you have said before, that uh, it's something that you, you certainly adhere to. So I'm looking to, to start this off maybe with some examples of times when you've followed a gut feeling or didn't follow a gut feeling and should have stories like that sam anything come to mind for you yeah, oh, oh absolutely zillions of stories um but you know gut instinct for me is is usually a brilliant thing to do and i always think that your instincts are honed by experience but that of course is always undermined with what the hell if i don't try i'll never find out um, so it can be your your um, sane and sensible side can be bastardized a bit by um, by that instinct because it tends to be a little bit stronger. But I think that going overlanding, um, so much about a journey is about finding out who you as the traveller are and what you're capable of. And I think following gut gut instinct because it's always stretching things and challenging. Um, that is one of the key ways of doing that. And most of the time, I think following your gut instincts turns out to be right, but sometimes it can go badly wrong. And a, term, a time that um, it went really right was um, by meeting a young lad called Teddy um, in Ethiopia. Um, I was riding with um, an English couple, Mike and Sally, and we just had a long ride over the mountains um, from Sudan. And, and the Civil War had literally just finished, and the countryside was beautiful, but you could feel the tension everywhere. We didn't even have the right permit to be there, let alone to buy fuel. 
we arrived in um, Addis Ababa, which is the capital city of um, Ethiopia, and we were looking for somewhere to stay. We had sort of an idea about where we wanted to go, um, but the signposts were absolutely rubbish, and there were very, very few um, street signs. A GPS didn't exist back then for the likes of us, and the maps we'd been able to get were absolute rubbish, you know, sort of main roads only, and nothing with side roads. We, we drove um, off the plateau and down into the city, um, which was a city of concrete block and rusted corrugated iron roof buildings. And the streets are really ramshackle and litter and, um, and crowded. Uh, we pulled to one side um, to, to stop and discuss the situation. Instantly, we were surrounded by people. Um, many of them were, were really excited and persistent young boys. But one of them was calmer and he was more polite. And my gut instinct at the moment said that he was a really good lad. He looked about 14 or 15, something like that. We perched him up behind me on top of my luggage, um, and he took us to this great little hotel, which was within our price budget with locked off-road parking. It was absolutely perfect. Of course, later on, we discovered that it was a brothel, but that really didn't matter. But Teddy was such a, a nice lad. He volunteered to spend the next days with us acting as our guide. And he took us to places in Addis Ababa that we would never have found for ourselves. Markets and buildings of interest. And also, key point, to places where we could get fuel that weren't so worried about having um, the right paperwork and so on. And that just that moment of gut instinct, yeah, this lad, he's, he's cool, um, works so well for us. And we, yeah, we had a very good time in Addis as a result of that. I was thinking about those those contradictory terms or, or sayings that we have. You know, he who hesitates is lost. Don't jump out of the pen into the fire. Those sorts of things. Gut instinct can be kind of like that too. Yes, it really can. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you can be in a difficult situation and your instinct tells you to jump in a particular direction. Actually, you end up in um, a hotter place than you were in the first and the first time around. But when you're in those situations, you've got to make a decision. And sometimes there is no logical way to go for it. So you just follow what your instincts say and hope that, that your instincts have been honed correctly. And if not, well, an unexpected adventure is just beginning. Steph, you just came back just off the road, really. Um, you must have some fresh in your mind. Yeah, I mean, again, loads. And, and you, you do have to trust your gut instinct. But I, th I think a lot of the time gut instinct is is paranoia it's fear and, and i think a lot of it initially when when you first set out on the road it takes it, it like sam said it takes practice it takes experience it takes positive reinforcement to kind of calm that down and to to really decipher what's what and what's going on is it is it just fear or paranoia but um there was one particular time in in patagonia not not to do with people but to do with the weather when everything was telling me don't go. Do not go out today. Do not ride the bike. The guy in the hotel said, don't leave today. It's too windy. Wind guru said, red, do not leave. And I was, I was like, oh, hey, I'm an adventure rider. I can I can do this. I got this. And I, and I ignored everything and went with my gut, which uh, quickly changed as I got off on, out on the bike. And, and uh, the weather was so bad before I even left the buildings that, you know, the safety and security of the buildings. Um, it was blowing me around all over the place. And uh, as I went down the coast and I got to the to the headland and came out from behind the, the shelter of the cliff faces, the a gust of wind took me and and, and threw me off the bike or, or the, me and the bike went sliding down the road. 
I did have a tent on the front of my bike at that point. I think that acted as a sail <laughs> and sent me sliding in front of a truck. And thankfully, the, the truck, I saw the whites of the truck, that truck driver's eyes as he was slamming his brakes on, you know, and, and we kind of both just stopped in time. And I was so embarrassed. I thought, what an idiot. Why did you not listen? You know, because a lot of the time, not just a gut instinct, but you, you, you have to listen to the locals. And sometimes the locals are all paranoid as well. And they're saying you know, don't go that way, don't go this way. And and it's very hard to know what to believe. Um, in this case, I got it completely wrong. I was too embarrassed to go back to the town. I was like, no, I refuse to, to give in to this. And so I got the truck driver. I was like, help me. It was so windy, he had to help me get the bike back behind the cliff face. And I sat there, I said, just leave me, leave me, I'll be fine. And I sat there thinking, uh, what am I going to do? And eventually I hitchhiked and, uh, and, and hitchhiked any, any trucks or vans that went past. And eventually one stopped and I was sort of like, you know, any, any chance you can give me a lift, you know, and, uh, and I got a lift to the next town. But, um, yeah, you really should uh, listen sometimes. But how do you tell the difference? Because you you said there, you, locals will sometimes exaggerate things. And everyone says that, you know, the locals of, of one country will be saying, you got to watch the next country, they're horrible. And when you get into the next country, they're telling you those people back there are horrible. So if that's the case, then what are you supposed to trust? It's, it's a good question. I still don't know. I think... Um you know, you're right. Everywhere you go, people are warning you about their neighbours and they're saying, you know, watch out. We're OK. We're fine. But but those people and it, and then it rolls on and, and there is a danger of, of getting very blasé about it, which I think is something that I'm very guilty of doing and thinking I'll be fine, you know. Um, but, <laughs> and most of the time you are. And that's the thing. It's that positive reinforcement. Most of the time you are. But, um, you know, uh, I, I, again, I suppose you have to. You have to just make that judgment, and it's all—it's—it's a, it's a fine line. You—you you don't know if that person trying to help you is a, a philanthropist or an axe murderer, and you have to make very quick decisions. And I, I think you do get better at it. It's hard to describe or explain why or or how, but but you do. Going back to that example that you just gave, though, was that not following your gut and and letting your ego get in the way, or or was that following what you thought was your gut feeling that oh you'll be fine? You know what I mean? Because because I'm sort of reading into it here. I'm thinking, well, uh, what it almost sounds like to me is almost like your gut was telling you this is a no go, but your ego is sort of saying I can do this. Yeah, I, I guess I, I didn't want to change my plans. I wanted to keep going. I was on a very boring stretch, to be honest, and and I wanted to keep going. And um, yeah, I, I did pretty much ignore everything and 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 go. Yeah, I, I got this. And and I traveled a fair distance through a lot of different climates and stuff. Yeah, maybe it was my ego. I thought, you know, it's just a bit of wind, you know. And but the turn, and but I could have turned back at any point. I could have turned back and gone, no, you guys were right, I was wrong, uh, and I didn't want to do that. I, I stupidly kept going. No, you were obviously in in a sort of culture, Steph, where saving face is important because there are plenty of cultures where that is the case, isn't it? Absolutely. Jim, you mentioned about um, you know talking to other people and and um, gathering information. Well, I think you both did. I think that's absolutely the right thing to do. But you have to listen hard, don't you? And and you have to add in the common sense angle because Chinese whispers are real, and you never really know the experience of the person that you're talking to. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a, a road that I did in Pakistan, and 
everybody I talked to about it who was coming towards me was saying, oh, no, the guy, it's a nightmare of a road and everybody has accidents and people get shot at and blah, blah, blah. And I got quite paranoid about this road because I was listening so hard to what they were saying. When I actually got there, it wasn't anything like as bad as people were saying. But coming up through Central America, so many people um, were saying to us, oh, gosh, the border crossings are absolute nightmare. They take hours and they're full of hassle and... Um, so, so our question was, well, which border crossings? And it turned out that they were all the border crossings on the Pan American Highway. And so our instinct said, well, don't use them. Find smaller um, border crossings. And, and we did. And we used those. And actually, most of them were an absolute joy to use. So it is that experience honing um, instinct. Did you find out afterwards, was there anything to, to sort of back that up, that those crossings on the Pan American were worse than the ones you took? We did. We met so many people who were just zipping through Central America on the way to South America because that was everybody's big, big goal to get to. And they were sticking on the Pan American because of the wanting just to hurry on through Central America, which is a real shame because you can spend six months um, through the different countries and still not anything like cover them. But, um, yeah, everybody that we met had problems at the Pan-American border crossings. And we were hearing stories about, you know, young kids who would um, bend nails and then get hold of rubber bands and wrap them round the bent nails so that they could throw them out in front of you and they, you would get tyre punctures. And they would be working for the local tyre repairer who was about 100 yards down the road. Um, but we never found anything like that when we were in the smaller border crossings. But I suppose for us, by that time, we'd been on the road for um, over six years. So we had learnt anyway that sometimes the, border, the smaller border crossings are the more fun. You end up being somebody who's interesting to the board officials instead of yet another chore to be dealt with. Graham, did your... Um I'm going on gut feeling. Did your gut feeling tell you that you should buy this bike? <laughs> <laughs> and what color you. is it? Uh, it's matte black. Uh, does it have the, does it have the it fairing is. on it? Uh, yes and no. Um, I also bought the fairing um, when it was... The thing is, it, the, the, the bike was on sale on, a, on eBay through auction... And a fairing came up. You can't even buy the fairings at the moment. There's a backlog through uh, through Triumph. And so this fairing became available on eBay. So I actually bought the fairing before I bought the bike. <laughs> so I was somewhat committed. I was just going to say that. You, you sold yours. That's like the worst thing you can do, in particular with an auction. <laughs> well, the thing is, I'm bidding on this fairing. When I bid, was bidding on it, I normally have a price in my head. And I'd had a few drinks and I so desperately wanted that fairing that I bid a lot more than I intended to. And it ended up going, I was outbid, it ended up going for £666. I thought, that's weird, 666, that's a bit suspicious. <laughs> anyway, about, about a few days later, the seller contacted me, said, oh, the highest bidder has, has wussed out on me. He said he was a bit drunk at the time and he's not going to honour it. Of course, I was I. <laughs> he said... He said, well, he said, I saw your bid and I said, well, do you want to do a you want to do a deal outside of eBay? And it required an element of trust. But we did a deal outside of eBay. And so I got the uh, got the fare in and then uh, just had to wait for the bike to become available and the auction to end on the bike. So it all worked out in the end. But um, it, well, it's kind of kind of exciting, you know, kind of cool. <laughs> you, you bid against the devil is what you're saying and you won. 
Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, fought the, I fought the devil and I won. Did you meet him at the crossroads, by any chance? <laughs> oh, it just goes downhill from here. <laughs> This, this can be arranged. So, 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 so gut feeling. So you didn't go with a gut feeling. That, that's not a gut feeling. That's a feeling in your gut from alcohol. Um, so I think that's an impulsive feeling, and which leads me to gut feelings. I, we got these topics. I don't know five days ago. Normally, when I read the topics, I instantly think, "Oh yeah, that story, the story, that experience, that that time, that country." And I have been searching, trying to think of an example of following gut instinct and uh, I can't I generally don't trust my gut because all it really tells me is drink alcohol and eat fatty foods so I don't I, I don't think that's your gut that's your brain <laughs> Graham you you have a whole book that's written on sort of going with your gut feeling which I have spoken about so many times and I don't really want to repeat myself so I think sorry can you say it again which I've spoken about <laughs> oh, you bastard you got me <laughs> <laughs> so um, I don't want to go over that because I, that that and because I, I, I did consider that and I thought oh god Graham's going to tell his story about Eureka and the U bend again so I didn't have the U turn not the U bend that was in the toilet that was a different story <laughs> yeah then the conversation was about to go downhill <laughs> <laughs> so no I haven't really got anything no then I thought right let the others speak first and then it will lodge something in my head and I think oh yes that reminds me. Um, but that hasn't happened either. So we could just brush over this bit and um, and we'll be right back with more topics. <laughs> Graham, can I ask you a question? Yeah, go on. That hotel in, what was it, Georgia, where you met Mark Manley? Yes. What was it that made you go to that hotel? Was it because it was in a guidebook or was it because it was somewhere that you'd heard about or did you just stumble across it and think, oh, that looks right? <laughs> Well, actually, post-U-turn, glad you mentioned it, Sam, post-U-turn, when I had decided to give up all my plans to cross the Caspian Sea and do the stands, I was, I hadn't had any company for quite a while. And I'd stayed in this town before called Usgali, which was wonderful in the highlands of Georgia. And uh, I'd met some people, I think they had their own, no, they didn't have their own transport. They were getting a bus with Sam, we're going to this other town next. Oh, that sounds kind of good. Well, I'll meet up with you there. They left on the bus and they were already, I think they got there the day before. So I took beautiful dirt track mountain roads over over this pass to get to this town. And when I got to, pulled in the town, I thought, right, where am I, how am I going to find them? And uh, one of them was walking down the street. And, so, and they said, oh, we've got this wonderful guest house. They've got a lovely family. They've got a little puppy dog and beautiful uh, balcony with lovely view. So, sounds perfect. Follow us. So I rode up there, put my bike on the side stand, went up the stairs, met the landlady. And uh, they said, no, full. I was like, oh, shit, you know how it is on the road, particularly on your own staff, you know? The highs and lows are bigger than any mountain pass. You go from this euphoric, I found good company, I found a good guest house, so there's a, oh, there's no room. Bollocks. And all of a sudden, you're on your own and you're homeless. So I um, continued up this dirt track because it was so damn steep, I couldn't turn the bike around. And as I did a couple of 90-degree corners, there was another guest house. And I drove through the gates and there was a motorcycle with an orange number plate depicting that it was English. And then I looked at it and I thought, I know, who owns that bike? And yeah, like you say, so it was Mark Manley. I don't know. I don't know if that was gutting. So I think that was that was fate and the fact I couldn't turn my bike round. <laughs> <laughs> 
What about when you're you're in Mexico? I think you had a story about being in Mexico and you end up um, going drinking and, and going off to some bars and whatnot where it looked like it could have been a, a rough area. That's that's sort of following your gut too, isn't it? Feeling that you're going to be okay? Um, I suppose, well, oh, that was also a situation where you, you camp in a lovely spot in this sort of cactus forest. You innocently decide you're going to go down and get yourself a beer so you can have one for the evening and the sunset. The people drinking the beer decide they're just going to open the fridge for you and put the money for the beer in their pockets. They'll invite you to drink the beer with them. They're playing guitar and then they're chatting away and then they want you to sing Yesterday by the Beatles because you've got an English accent. So I can do Guns N' Roses yesterday. I can't really do the Beatles. And, um, and then they say, come meet my family. So you've left... Your tent and all your belongings in some cactus forest. You follow them on the bike to meet the family. Then they insist you go to a bar. So now your bike's outside their family house. Your tent is in a cactus forest. And now you're in a third location with a bar. And again, that's not following gut. That's kind of um, just reckless abandon and going with the flow. Yeah. It was a it was a brilliant night, and I finally got everything, including myself, back to my tent. Everything except water. God, I was so thirsty and hungover. But it was, uh, again, a wonderful experience, but I can't really say that's gut instinct. It was fun. That's what I That's what I kind of want. It's very difficult to, to you know, to pinpoint gut instinct and, and sort of say, okay, well, that was definitely gut instinct. I've had so many occasions where... You know, it was it like like Graham said, reckless abandonment. And I, and I think like like in in Colombia, I had a message. I got into bed. It was in a hotel. I got into bed, and I had a message through Twitter from a guy in Colombia in Cali who said, "Oh, you're in town, and um, I'd like to take you out. And the nighttime is the best time to see the city." And I tend to agree with him. And 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 I thought. Well, should I should I go with? He goes, I'll come and pick you up from the hotel. I'll take you out, show you the salsa uh, places, clubs, and and I thought, well, what what should I do? This is this is rather, you know, should, shouldn't really be doing this, but but you know, you, you kind of think, should I? Yeah, what the hell? I'll, uh, and and you you go right, what time? And he says, well, you're British. I must be. I must give you an accurate time. I'll be there in in half an hour, whatever. And I went out with this guy, and we had a brilliant time. It was absolutely wonderful. The next day, I went, I went riding horses with him, and the horse was called Ronda, which is the name of my motorbike, which was kind of weird. Um, and it, I think it's more reckless. Of, I don't know because I'd never met the guy; I had no idea. But something, you know, what was it? The fact that I wanted a drink, or was it the <laughs> was it the fact that it was gut instinct? Who knows? You know. I think it was gut instinct because. You'd read what he had said and how he'd said it and the way that he was responding to or approaching you and your gut instinct was saying to you, well, actually, this is a good idea and he doesn't sound too bad, so let's just go for it and see. Yeah, and and I think the fact that I knew, because he contacted me on Twitter, I knew he'd been following as well. So he was a biker, you know, so there was, there was I guess there was a few things there, a few clues that said this is probably going to be okay, so, yeah. Also, it may be that we're looking back on our experiences because I remember reading research about um, how we claim that we, we've we um, voted or predicted something. So in other words, if you uh, you say something's going to happen afterwards, quite often we'll actually change what we thought we were predicting to be the more correct thing. Yeah. So so it's, um, we could be bastardizing our own thoughts here. Grant, we, we haven't got you in here yet. Oh, we've had a few episodes in, uh, that were gut instinct and... Sometimes it's, it's, is it gut or is it I'm thinking, I'm weighing the possible options and which one seems to be the most sensible? I tend to be... That's pragmatic, isn't it? Less gut and more 
what what's pragmatic yeah what's sensible just does this make sense or is this paranoia or is it gut just saying something stupid because sometimes the flight or fight response that we have is completely wrong freezing and trying to hide you know the old um in the sense of danger people freeze that may be your gut or what your body says to do but it's wrong Mm -hmm. Uh, so you've got to balance what makes sense what's your gut telling you how's it feel and i think all of the gut instinct is like um steph's experience was how does this guy feel what's it like what's the correspondence like what's the general sense of the area what is the person coming across like there's a whole lot of things that kind of give you clues that your brain works out and we call that gut in the end so i don't know we were in uh, central america during the contra wars which was an interesting time to be there to say the least um and we were often asking the locals you know is it safe to go down this road where's a good place to go is it is it safe to go there and we would often get no don't go there don't go there don't go there and don't do this road don't do that road do this road this one's okay you'll be fine uh, and and that was important but uh, one time we went down a road which they said was fine and everything was great and we're just riding along and just a little country road and all of a sudden a whole bunch of soldiers or guerrillas we have no idea still to this day we have no idea jumped out of the bushes with machine guns pointed at us we go, whoa whoa okay this is not good um and that was where local information and our general feeling about the area was wrong or was it wrong because in the end we ended up talking to the the head of the soldiers and all he wanted to know is who are you and what the heck are you doing here? It's like, you don't belong here. This is very strange. So we're very curious. And in the end, that was really all it was, is they were, you know, like, what are you doing and why are you here? And we explained and what we were doing. You know, have a nice day and off you go. It was fine. So gut immediately said, oh, my God, this is going to be terrible. And yet, no big deal. So we had that experience, and then uh, we got to Panama City, and we were riding through Panama City looking for a place to stay, turned down a road, turned down another road, turned down another road, trying to find someplace, got ourselves a little lost, and then ended up in an area, and we both just looked at it, and there was a hotel sign. We looked at it, no, we're not staying here, and we turned around and rode out. It just felt bad. Everybody on the street was just kind of lounging around, uh, doing the I'm unemployed and looking for something interesting or trouble or money or to rob you or whatever. And it just felt terrible. So we just got out of there immediately. I have no idea if we'd stayed there, whether we would have had a problem or not. It might have been perfectly fine. It might have been like Sam's brothel. I don't know. Hmm. But it didn't feel good. So we just said, right, we're out of here. And we find that that tends to work. You know, pay attention. Sometimes I wonder if if getting out or getting through something is not sort of happenstance. It's uh, if some people will say luck. Like I've said before, I think when we've talked about this sort of thing, just because you happen to make it through a minefield doesn't mean that it, the minefield's not dangerous. You know, it's still dangerous and somebody else may, may sure. have a completely different experience from you. But the thing with our gut feeling is our, our gut feeling is supposed to be something that that sees things, and I, and I use that in, in quotations, sees things that we don't see in our cognitive thought process. You look at things, 
you go, I, I can't put my finger on it, but I feel it. You know, I, I can sort of feel it. And of course, you sort of feel it in our gut. I, the one the example that, that rings for me, and, and I think I've told you guys about it before, was Elizabeth and I uh, traveling. We stop at this one spot and these two guys approach us. Now, there was just something about them that almost made the hair stand up on the back of my neck. Everything was wrong, yet I couldn't see anything that was really wrong. You know, I picked out little things afterwards, but at the time, and, and I think that's, that's really gut feeling, isn't it? That's how we would have to define it. I'm not even sure it is gut feeling because I think you you were picking up on things. There is yeah. little little hints, little that's not right. That's not right. Something's funny here. He didn't didn't phrase that the way he should have. You know something, it's not right, and your brain is working madly away, and giving you a gut instinct feeling, but mm. it's there. So is this story um, a gut instinct then? Um, it took me months to get my visa to get into Iran. And all I managed to get hold of was a seven-day transit visa, which was just about enough to get across and stop off at a mosque or two along the way. Um, and, of course, I was elated that, a, that after all of that time I'd got the visa, but totally disappointed that I had so little time for the journey across this country that I really wanted to see. Just um, a day before making it into Iran, I had a blowout on the front tyre, and it damaged the metal beading around the edge of the tire. So I had a, a big fat blister that was rubbing up against the inside of the forks I was riding. But I had nothing else, no, no other choice. So riding into um, Iran, I then discovered that big bikes are technically illegal in Iran. So finding a 21-inch front tire was incredibly difficult, let alone for one the size of my bike. Now... I still hadn't managed to do this. My seven days was almost up and I still had a couple of days left to go to make it to the border with Turkey. And I knew that every day that I was riding this bike, I was riding a potential disaster case, incredibly uncomfortable. Um, now, I'd heard that it might be possible to get an extension to the visa and um, was in the um, city of Esfahan and went to the police station, which is where I'd been told you went to apply for an extension and I was traveling with um, a couple of German guys at the time and when we got into the police station it was very obvious where you went to do things like visa extensions and there were two counters two officers one on each both of them were unshaven one of them looked incredibly friendly and um, was dealing with people who were in front of him with respect and the other side, the other guy was just abrupt with everybody, and people were were going away from him, looking incredibly unhappy. But my instinct said, "Go to him, not the happy one." So I persuaded my two friends, and I feel guilty about this, um, to go to the to the edgy, grumpy officer, um, and they were tired and desperately needed extensions, and they were a bit edgy and impatient with him. And he instantly refused their extensions. And I thought, wow, that is really bad. Now I've, got, I've dropped these guys into it. I said, well, I've got nothing to lose. So I went up to him and just spoke politely and called him sir and um, explained about the front tire. And he just nodded, stamped my passport and gave me 20 days instead of the week that I'd been asking for and was the norm to be granted. In the meantime, the other official had just completely changed and he was refusing everybody that came to him. Now, that had to be gut instinct to go to the grumpy guy because there was no logic to doing it. All of the logic said go to the other guy. 
I, yeah, I think that is that is a good example of gut instinct, where there doesn't seem to be anything at all, any reason at all for you to make that decision apart from a feeling that tells you to do it. So I think that's a really good example. Yeah. I think they must have had some one. sort of slider or a timer there where they slide it back and forth. <laughs> I'm grumpy, you're grumpy. Let's, let's really screw these <laughs> people up. My turn. <laughs> uh, you never know. The big question is, so how do you develop it? I mean, you know, to, to go out and go through the school of hard knocks for each one of us seems like a foolish thing to do when our whole culture is built on standing on those shoulders of the people who have went before us. So why can we not harness gut feeling? Why can we not pass this on from one person to another? Or are we born with it? Well, I, I think it definitely is down to experience and the more experiences you have and you can't you can't read that in a book. You have to go out and feel it and experience and and feel less alien in an environment, because when you turn up, like Sam was saying about Iran, you know, you go when I first arrived in Iran, I was I was very um, I felt like a, a five year old. I didn't know how to behave, how, how to how to move, how to act, whatever. It all felt so alien. And therefore, all your senses are on high alert in until you can calm them down and then you can start to notice those little details and your senses start working and and with you and 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 maybe that's what creates that gut instinct although like as we said maybe there's absolutely no reason who knows but um but yeah i think experiences you have to go out and and um and and harvest them and 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 then you can really start paying attention to the finer details I think a lot of it, too, is as a matter of just what I call awareness. Um, Susan and I are completely opposite in that. She, there could be a war going on beside her and she wouldn't notice, be completely oblivious. I mean, you could do anything and, she, huh, what, where? And yet I'm aware of everything. I see a car two blocks away making a bad turn and thinking that guy's going to be a problem. And, and maybe it comes from riding a motorcycle and being aware of all the idiot drivers out there and aware that one of them's out to get me and another one doesn't see me. And you develop an, an awareness of everything that's going on around you. And I think that's what creates the gut instinct. You're seeing all kinds of little signals around you that are feeding into your brain, which is working away at all of this and absorbing it all and thinking about it and worrying away at it and comes up with an answer for you. This is not good or this is okay. And that's what feeds that gut instinct, I think. And it, it's people with poor um, gut instinct, if you will, have poor awareness. They're not really aware of what's going on around them. They're not seeing things. They're very focused on one thing. Susan is really, really good at focusing on one thing and a bomb could go off and she wouldn't notice. She can be working away here in the office and I'll say something to her and nothing, blank. So I have to speak up, Susan, wake up. <laughs> and Oh, okay. Yeah, I was focused. Yep. And I think that's what it is to me is just being really, really aware of everything. And you develop that the more you travel, the more you ride a motorcycle, I think you develop it too. But more travel and more I need to pay attention to what's going on around me is what is important to me. I agree Sometimes. with that. I mean, I'm definitely really aware on the bike always. I mean, I, which is why I'm an awful passenger in a car because I'm, I'm not relaxing. I'm still driving. I'm still yes. seeing everything around me. <laughs> and we got a taxi back from the airport yesterday. And I can't help but say, you know, it's all clear when I'm looking to the side where he can't see. And then, uh, 
I just about to say, did you see his turning? But the driver did see his turning. But, you know, you just can't help it. So I've totally got that awareness on the road. I certainly agree with that half of it, Grant. But it hasn't developed for me into a, into a sixth sense, into a, into a gut feeling. Um, but definitely, I think, yeah, motorcycle riding, because being in the right isn't going to help you, is it? If you, exactly. <laughs> but, Dead right. <laughs> But yeah, certainly that half of it is good. I think yeah, being focused on one thing, being out of focus is, is definitely a good thing, but probably not on a motorcycle. I mean, when I took okay, go back to getting on the Thruxton today for the first time, you know, your first I knew ride we had to go back here. <laughs> and um and so it's got these buttons which tell you different modes. I've got rain mode, sport mode, road mode. And then I've got all the, this other button that tells me, I don't know, how many miles began I going to get and, and different stuff. So what I probably should be doing is feeling about the handling of the bike, the gears, the clutch. But what I'm doing is pressing the buttons <laughs> as I'm riding. Oh, what's this telling me? <laughs> what's this mean? Why can't I dip my headlight? Why is the high beam light on all the time? <laughs> Graham Field, you're a big kid, really, aren't you? Good on you. Oh, so thank you, God. This isn't going to be a surprise to anybody who's got a bike less than newer than ten years old. But when you turn on the ignition, the two cables on the clock, the two needles on the clocks, go all the way to the top and then all the way back down again. It's, it's visually stimulating. <laughs> How many times have you guys been um, out on a trip, and you've come across a side turning? What makes you decide to go and explore that side turning or not? Hmm. I'm bored with the road I'm on, and that one must be better. Grass is greener and all that. Yeah. Oh, great name for a book. <laughs> I think it's the wanting to, it's that adventurer in you, I think, you know, that, that little, that child in you that wants to go and, and um, stick your head around the corner and see what's there. And, and sometimes it just looks like a, an inviting road especially if you're on a dirt bike and you think oh this looks like fun and a mm -hmm. bit of this comes out and you just want to go and play and yeah that usually works out pretty well uh, curiosity is a part of gut instinct isn't it mm. yeah i guess it is yeah well as i mentioned at the start of the show the rixes are on the road and they've just managed now to get to their hotel room and get themselves settled in so they could join us <laughs> it's been a long day so you've arrived. You, you've got to your, your location of bedness. Yes, we yes, have. We've, we had have. A, we've had a big day ride. We've uh, caught up with friends um, who got two hire bikes. They flew in from uh, Melbourne to London, uh, a car down to Tombridge, two hire bikes. They haven't been to bed yet. And we've just done about, I don't know, 150, 170 mile ride. And then um, been to Sammy Miller's museum. So Excellent. there you go. So sorry we're a bit late to, around the um, virtual campfire, guys, but um, riding's more important. Uh, absolutely. And it's okay. We'll throw another log on, and we're happy to have you here. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we also have Steph Jevons with us. And, Steph, do you know Brian and Shirley? No, we haven't met. Hi, Brian. Hi, Shirley. Nice to uh, meet you. Uh, Hi, Steph. Steph. Yeah. <laughs> So we were just um, we we're just dealing with um, with gut feeling. I, I think we just about toasted it. Um, one thing you probably don't know at this point is Graham Fields got a new bike, a Thruxton R, and that's all he's talked about the entire um, episode. So um, yeah, hang, hang, hang on, Graham. Hang on. We were just following. We met a guy at Sammy Miller's um, uh, museum, and he's riding a uh, Triton, 
which Oops. he's had for 40 years. And he said, I'll lead you down some country lanes. So we've been following this beautiful uh, Triton uh, through some country lanes um, going across the Salisbury Plains and all that sort of stuff, listening to the beautiful note of one of those wonderful old machines. Mm, very nice. Cool. They, they have got a lovely sound to them. Um, yeah, oh, they... yeah, this this seems straight out. And uh, he could ride it a bit, so we had a bit of fun. <laughs> okay. isn't, isn't Sammy Miller's an amazing place? Oh, yeah, yeah, very much so. Well, the last time I saw one of Sammy Miller's bikes was back in 2003 at the Isle of Man, and the 250cc four-cylinder Honda was there. And I sat on it and um, it was blipping the throttle on it, and it revs to 16,000 RPM. It's a race bike. So I'm revving it to 12,000 RPM, warming it up for the, the rider, a, a Kiwi guy. And uh, people were standing behind it with their fingers in their ears. It is straight out. It is so loud. But all the bikes at Sammy's um, museum are wonderful to, to view, and uh, most of them are up and running too, of course. Well, just before we continue on here, I want to talk to you guys about your trip. Just give us a brief overview of your trip. Uh, sure. Oh, you well, let's see. The bike trip that started with um, two weeks in a car... <laughs> planes, trains and automobiles because the bike was late getting here. Uh, you, Shirley, you know what? You probably did that because I remember you saying that hopefully, you know, or you say it sounded very vague about it, that our bike will actually be there for us. <laughs> well, it wasn't. Well, uh, what happened was the um, uh, the ships go, everything gets to Singapore and gets offloaded and apparently there was some um, big shipments coming from the US to go to Europe. And they offloaded all containers of ships uh, loaded with Australian goods, Asian goods, and loaded them full of this um, American stuff. And uh, everybody was three weeks late getting everything from Australia and Asia back to Europe. But so. we didn't let the grass grow under our feet. We hired a car and went to France and went to the battlefields of the Somme and Flanders to do some um, family history research. So I have a relative buried there. And then we went to Paris as you do, then we went to London, and then we went to Norfolk to do some history research with Brian's family. Oh, Came back all, to Felixstowe, and no, the bike was there. No, no, no. We, we met up with a, a fellow by the name of Peter Beard, who uh, we met at a Horizons meeting in uh, the UK in 2003. 2003. And uh, Peter rode his Triumph Tiger across to India. And uh, when we were right across uh, that part of the world, we caught up with Peter and stayed in um, uh, um, a mansion in Goa, an old Portuguese mansion, um, where they were doing high rides out of there. So we caught up with Peter in London and uh, at, what was that called, the, oh, the bike shed. shed. the bike shed. You'd know it, Graham and Sam, I'm sure. I know it, but I've never been on my get-to-get-to get list. It was it was actually quite cool. Not so many bikes, but lots of people, and the food was pretty good, and yeah. we were able to walk there from our hotel, which was also nice. But um, lots of people come and park out the back and then come and sit and have something to eat and then chuff off yeah. in the heart of London. It's a really cool place. Free parking for your bike in the heart of London, Sam. Not bad. No, that's very so, cool. Yeah. So, no, yeah, we, we caught up with Pete there and then we've, um, we caught up with our bike at Felixstowe, went to the shipping agent and um, mingled with the hordes on the beaches of Felixstowe waiting for them to unload our bike. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, oh, boy, there's some um, – there's a lot of flesh 
um, a lot of big flesh on the beaches at Felixstowe. Let me tell you. Uh, we're a nation of fat bastards now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> apart, apart from you, mate. <laughs> oh, no, no, I'm losing my... I just can't help her. <laughs> it's my healthy lifestyle ever since my body became a temple and stopped being an amusement park. <laughs> Oh my god! I'm glad I'm oh. sitting down when he just said that. Good grief! <laughs> <laughs> so, but you put the cue in the rack, mate. That's no good at your age. <laughs> <laughs> but I really noticed it. I just arrived in the UK yesterday, and I really noticed it. And there's some people who have got off the plane who have obviously come from somewhere quite warm. I thought, what are you wearing? Who finds that attractive? Uh, yeah, I've got, to, I've got to agree with you, mate. Do you know what I like about doing raw is is we just have so much for people to learn. I mean, it's just a lot of good information here. Yeah, you would never have known that if Graham hadn't started. <laughs> sorry to digress on you, uh, Captain Jim, but uh, sorry, mate. But, I mean, it's highly appropriate things we were supposed to be talking about gut instinct. Well, that's true. <laughs> so the one thing, Rick's, is as we've sort of went through the going with your gut thing, and we're about to move on. Um, but um, the one thing I was really hoping to get with this is if anyone has any idea on how you develop your gut feeling. And I, I know I asked this already, but I'm sort of, I mean, I would love it if we could lay down a one, two, say, do this and do that to develop it. Oh, you've either got it or you haven't, wouldn't you say? Yeah. No. Yeah, that's interesting you say that because that's what I said. Does it come from, like, is it part of you as a person, how you grew up, where you grew up, that sort of thing? Yeah, look, I, that's a difficult one. Some people are, um, what's the word? Oblivious to everything around yeah, them. Yeah, yep, yep. Some people just don't take notice of what's around them. Others are hyper, hypersensitive to that. And I think that develops your gut feeling sometimes too. Um, well, I don't know. I, I, yeah, look, well, today, you know, you're following along these little country lanes and um, the guy in front um, pulls out. You know, you, you really have to get right out to see the road. Now, some people just follow along blindly and others stop and have a good look. And I reckon that's a gut instinct thing. And I, I saw that. We've got three or four different riders with us today, and I saw that a couple of times. I always have a look, and I'm lucky in a way with Sheryl on the back because I say um, uh, clear left or clear right, whichever way I'm going to look, she looks the other way. So I get get that double thing. But um, some people don't do that. I've noticed that today. Did you yeah, see that? But I think, yeah, but I yeah. think gut instinct, you're talking about going into situations that, might not be all that safe and what gives you the instinct mm -hmm. to say they're not. I Look, I think maybe Grant is right in that it's intuitive. You just get the feeling. But how you would train yourself to do it, I just don't know that you can. I, I do still, uh, I'll say it again, I think the more alien environments you put yourself into, the more you can hone in on that gut instinct because it's it's practice and some people have it stronger than others you know the force is stronger in some than in others but i do think everyone can improve on their gut instinct by <clears throat> can't by by throwing themselves into environments where it's not just 
practice or training or whatever and you've only got your gut instincts to rely on because everything else is alien to you and that yeah. that's yeah. No, I, I think i think there's a lot in that you're really talking about experience and, and what, what, is, what are your what are your life experiences they they teach you what your gut feelings are and yeah. taking yourself out of your comfort zone yeah, yeah. Sure. and i think you have to remind yourself when you get into those situations to not be oblivious to pay attention to what's going on around you. You need to consciously say to yourself, "What's going on? What's who's he?" Um, there's there's exercises for improving your awareness, and uh, one of them is just walk walk down the street, and then stop and say, "Okay, who was on the right? What color shirt was that guy wearing?" Or have somebody help you with it and just ask some questions. And what did you actually observe? Did you really see? what was going on and who was there and who was where. Uh, so you can work on it. But I think you need to consciously do that if you are aware that you're not really aware of what's going on around you. You're you're in one of the more oblivious people. And Susan will tell you right off, yeah, I, I need to pay more attention. I know that. And that's fine. I mean, sometimes you're in a situation where you have to go with your gut instinct instantly because you've, you've sure. just found yourself in that spot where you've got no time to think. But I think gut instinct functions the best when you give it a moment um, to, to work itself out. And mm -hmm. Steph earlier on was talking about riding um, on that windy day. Um, perhaps with hindsight, if she'd taken that step back and thought about what her gut was actually telling her to do for a moment, she might not have actually done it. And we had a situation like that when we were down in Chile. Um, I just slipped my third disc and I was flying high on anti-inflammatories and my back was feeling absolutely fantastic. And we were faced with the decision, do we go over and ride the Carretera Austral, um, which I've been itching to do, or do we do a loop around it and stay on more manageable roads? And my gut instinct at that time said, you, you may never be this way again, just do it, you'll be right. Um, well, of course I wasn't and ended up being medevac back to the UK because I did so much damage to my back riding the Carretera Austral. But normally, gut instinct leads you in the right direction. And if I'd taken the time to just stand back and think about it a little bit more and allow the sensible side of gut instinct to surface, then maybe I would never have got myself into so much trouble. Having said that, the Carretera Austral is my favourite road in the world, in spite of the hassles. <laughs> the other yeah. thing, you're right, no, Sam, we, saying you. you may never be back this way again. I mean, that's something we've all talked about many, many times on Raw. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, you may never be back there. So I can understand you taking a punt. We went on the on that road and it poured with rain and it was a really... It was a hard ride. It was a hard, hard ride, ride yeah. but mm. we did mm -hmm. it. Yeah. yeah. You always yeah. have to be careful. Skiers know the uh, the favorite thing is, oh, one last run and we'll quit for the day. Oh. No, don't do that because that's the let the run that you break your leg on. Well, 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 my one of the worst moments, I suppose, is in Pakistan. I remember, we've been trucking along uh, up near Abbottabad behind a bus belching out diesel fumes all over. You know what that's like. And uh, I decided, that's it, I've had a gut full of this. And I pulled out to overtake the bus in this little little town, thinking, I'm, yeah, I'm right. And just as I did that, there's a truck uh, barreling down the road the other way. And I, you know, like, you got nowhere to go. And I've just, down a gear, gunned it and gone up a side street, scattering goats and chickens and donkeys and all sorts of things. And the people were more than a little surprised. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they were a bit. But, but uh, you know, like, that was we probably that was probably time. a failure, you know. You just 
my my I was just over it. You know, you, know, you get that that period where you just get over sitting behind a belching truck or bus. Yeah, I think they call that yeah. road rage, Brian. <laughs> and surely right. you do dry comment wonderfully. <laughs> oh, well, yeah, my ears are still burning from that one. Yeah. <laughs> but obviously our number wasn't up because we got to the end of that little road without even hitting a ch- chicken or a goat or a person and pulled up and well, I guess we shared some guardian angel kicking in and maybe it's nothing to do with gut instinct but it's just our guardian angels looking after us yeah i reckon you're right yeah. Yeah. good you've brian credit he got through all of that without hitting anything so good writing <laughs> well done that was that was more ass than class yeah, but I bet you Brian, when he's sitting around with his buddies having a beer at the bar, that's not how that story came out. That was much more heroic. <laughs> yeah, that's right. It's yeah. 160K past yeah. the matter. That's right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, there's a book called Blink by Malcolm Gladwell that um, talks about um, gut feelings, and it, it's quite good. If anybody's interested in that, that might be worthwhile reading if you're interested in learning more about gut feeling or at least some people's views on it and, and some research into it. But I guess from there, we're going to move on to um, when the shit hits the fan. So w- when everything goes pear-shaped when you're on a trip and you find yourself in trouble, that's, um, that can be, you know, a really, could be life or death or, or something close to it or worse. Um, worse, you, worse than life. Worse than death. <laughs> do, you ha- do you have a plan in place? Have you made a list of contacts you need for the situation? Um, you know, one example here is um, we just interviewed a, a guy named Ben King, a young fellow on a motorcycle. You guys have probably heard about him riding around. Matter of fact, Steph, he, he's on your bike, I think, isn't he? he he's not on my bike, well, but I mean, he's on he's, the same, same bike. Right. They made and more he, than one. He was, he was <laughs> yeah, there's actually amazingly more than one. He actually, um, he, con- he was one of those people that uh, sent me uh, a couple of questions before he left saying, oh, you know, the whole thing, like I was asking Sam loads of questions before I left. He was asking me loads of questions. And he, he, I said, anything you like, ask me anything you like, it's no problem. And every night there was a list of question after question after question. <laughs> I was like, it's all good. It's all good, Ben, just go for it. And he's, uh, he seems to be absolutely loving it Well, now. speaking to Ben, I'm not surprised it was question after question after question because I think yeah. Ben moves pretty quickly all the time. He does. <laughs> but, but what Ben was saying was um, that uh, he, he got into trouble and somebody had handed him, uh, given him a, a phone number, a text number rather, a WhatsApp text number of an official. You know, if you get into trouble, you need anything, contact this official in this country that he was in. And he did. Uh, and that worked out to be sort of a, a savior for him. You know, it was, it was something that solved his massive problem. But that's, that's just happenstance. He just happened to come along and, and, you know, bump into the right person who gave him the number and something turned out. Do you guys, when you go on a trip, do you plan ahead and say, okay, I'm, I'm going into Iran. Um, what do I need for Iran? Do I, have, do I have the embassy number? Do I have government contacts? Is anyone doing that? Anyone making lists? Well, in Australia, they always recommend that you list yourself on the government um, Department of Foreign Affairs and okay. Trade website as to where you're going to be when you're going into um, difficult countries and uh, we've had lengthy discussions about it and I've never done it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, to be fair, we, we, do, we do plan a bit. And look, the inevitable might happen when you're on a trip. And on our first trip, we, um, as you know, I, I had a lot to do with the minister because of um, dealing with um, homicide uh, victims, families and things like that. 
And uh, I went to the chaplain and said, um, Jim, I got. Uh, he thought we're actually going to renew our wedding vows, didn't he? Yeah. And we had an envelope which was to be opened if the worst happened, and he was the responsible person. I didn't want to leave it with the kids. I didn't want to leave it with anyone, but he was the person that if, uh, if um, we crossed the Jordan, um, he knew what to open that letter and he yeah. knew what to do. Yeah, but that doesn't help us when things go pear-shaped. Overseas. Wow, it helps your family. Well, that's the final yeah. one, Brian. We were hoping to that's like important. deal with something before that, which might you oh, know prevent okay. that envelope from being opened. <laughs> I mean, that, that's just, the whole goal. Just before moving on, though, from Brian's comment, I think Brian, you're right, you are absolutely right. I always, I, I always have a will, because it is right. important when you go travelling right. that to accept that the worst can happen. And then, what do your family and your close friends do when you're out in some far-flung land and what do you want them to do? What do they have to cope with? And if you exactly. lay it all out, make exactly. it very easy for them. Yeah. My goodness, what a difference it makes for them. I, I've got yeah. to say just as well, I have a story about this one. So before I left, my dad went all serious and he sat me and my mum down in the kitchen. And he said, uh, okay, um, you know, what, what it, so he made me write the will and everything and do all that sort of responsible stuff. And then he said, okay, um, what do you want us to do if the worst happens? Um, what do you want us to do with your body? And I was about to say, I, I don't care, stick it on a skip for all I care, you know, it really doesn't matter, I'm dead. <laughs> and, um, and then I stopped myself and my mum my giggled and I, and I kind of giggled and he went, no, I'm deadly serious. So I thought, okay, fine. So I said, all right, Dad, well, what I'd like you to do is um, I'd like you to, to, to burn the body. This is very macabre. I'd like you to burn the body and then I'd like you to get on my bike, stick the, stick me on the back and I'd like you to finish the journey for me with me and he looked at me and went really and I was like yep gotta do it dad so I think all the way through my journey he was just praying I was going to get through that <laughs> <laughs> make a good movie <laughs> but Steph you're right and that's exactly we did something similar we, you know we oh, can't a body back across the world it's useless so you know no, I, I guess you're right, Brian. I mean, really, if we're talking about that sort of stuff, you may as well start at the top, right? I mean, and and yeah, deal with yeah, sure. the, the finale, um, and then sort of work backwards from there. Well, okay. yes and no. I, I uh, when I was uh, traveling in South America, this was with a backpack. This was in back in 2000, and there was three of us. Uh, there was a, a Swedish girl, an English girl, and me, and we'd all split up and gone our own separate ways. And uh, this was, yeah, like I say, year 2000, so all much younger. And on the road of death in Bolivia, she was in a minivan which careered off the edge of the road of death, and everybody in it was killed. And oh. my friend, who was 26, Tina, was killed. And of all the travellers, all the tourists in that minivan, she was the only one who had insurance that included repatriation of, of the body. And um, other people spent thousands and thousands of parents, bereaved parents, to have the bodies of their dead sibling brought back. Now, it's all very well saying, put, you put me in a skip or burn me or whatever, but you have to think about the ones who really love you. And if it's going to comfort them to know that your body is back, so they've got a grave that they can attend, so they've got some form of, of dealing with their grief, then perhaps you shouldn't be so selfish and perhaps you should ask them what they want and, uh, and think about that. Because I know it's been a, a great source of uh, 
of comfort to their parents. And uh, I visited her grave as well to have something physical here in the UK that you can attend. Um, there is also a plaque on the road of death, but, you know, it's a little bit harder to get to. And it does have a bit of a reputation. I actually thought that my dad having to ride me home was going to keep him busy. So he didn't think so much about it. So he wasn't grieving so much. But but in all seriousness, I, I do I, I, too, I totally agree with you about that. You know, uh, if we're getting serious about it, I do think that repatriation is a very important thing that you should have to protect your family, if nothing else. Because, you know, f- for me, I don't care for them. They're not religious people. But but sometimes you need something, some something that you can visit maybe or or something that whatever and I totally agree with you that, that you need to think about them when it comes to insurance and that kind of thing it's for them not for you yeah I, I have like seen... you said you don't care and you're dead exactly yeah. it's more what, what matters for them and what uh, the family left behind <clears throat> because I've, I've seen crowdfunding uh, uh, things for you know raise £20,000 to bring back a body from Thailand from somebody who partied too hard and died on a beach at a full moon party well you know it's um if that's what the parents want but what a, you, it's not oh, cheap wow. transporting a dead body dhl don't do it it's very expensive <laughs> 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 well if it was if it was me graham uh, don't waste your bloody money please <laughs> you know <laughs> can i i um obviously taking a body is expensive but i got a um I had a job in Ireland and I was at Heathrow Airport waiting to to fly to Dublin and there was a woman standing next to me who was an Australian and she said that she'd come all this way and she produced this bag and in the bag was her mother and she was (laughs) taking her mother back to Ireland. And I said, did you have trouble explaining that to the officials when you arrived? And she went, "Hmm." well, I do have a few letters from people in Australia too justify why she has this bag of her mother's ashes with her. With her I'm going to say, was her mother a leprechaun? So how'd you get in the back? <laughs> <laughs> well, you can also get a document from the funeral home that does the cremation too, that uh, allows you to take it. I think that's required in Canada anyway. Well, there you go, Jim. That's a bit of bright and cheery. Yeah, As yeah. I say, this is an interesting Everybody rabbit hole. It just reminds me of the other day we were driving down the road here and there's a cone in the middle of the road. And what is this massive hole in the middle of the road? And I thought, boy, it's a good thing they had the cone there. But I feel like there was no cone on this one. I feel, I feel like I just went right in. There was, just, there was just a great opportunity to plant things, Graham. Well, uh, sorry. The, the other side of the coin is what happens if you live? Then what do you do? <laughs> Wow, that's that's it's the better side. Back to most people's objective to to come back from their trip, dealing with things that are going that go wrong. We were talking about making lists and arranging things ahead of time so that we had important numbers. That's a, the, probably the the uh, the first one. Do you guys find the the uh, number for the for your um, consulate before you go into a country? I, I personally have never um, I've, I've never had the number for my embassy. Um, uh, and to be honest, when I first used to start crossing borders, I was always be, I was always prepared, so I'd have the emergency services number because, of course, it's different in every country, right? And and you you need to know that. But then once you ring them, maybe they're not going to understand English anyway. But but hey, you know, you need to kind of make do the best you can. And I always have a SIM card to make sure that I have, you know, a local SIM card, so I've got some kind of contact in the in event of an emergency. 
But actually, the more I went on, the more blasé, and I'm not saying this is the right thing to do, it's just what happened, is that I got very blasé about it. And I would sort of get to a border and go, oh, oh, yeah, I'm at a border. Oh, I suppose I need to kind of think of what, what money is it here again? You know, which country is this? And, and, I, and I just kind of got very too relaxed, I think. And, and if something had happened, you know, there was a point at one point when I, I was riding along in, in Africa somewhere and um, and I split second loss of concentration and very nearly got hit by, by a car. And uh, there was like grooves in the tarmac. I don't know if you see, you know, where the trucks have come yeah. along and it's warm. And I so was stuck in one of those and I went to go out of one of those and very nearly got hit by a car coming at probably 90 miles an hour in the, in the other direction. And that split second made me go, whoa, you know, another inch and I was a goner. And and I, I'm, I actually don't, you know, I have insurance, but I don't have the number of who to call on me anywhere. And I don't have, if I'm knocked out cold, who's going to know who to ring? Like, you know, they're not going to kick in with the insurance. They're not going to phone my parents, you know. So how does that actually work? And, and, and I must say I'm very guilty of being completely unprepared. Yeah, I don't think we've ever carried the number well, for our insurance policy somewhere you could find we, it other than on our laptop. No, we, we, we've yeah, got the hard, <laughs> hard copy documents too that we oh, carry. Oh, that's true. But um, your passport is pretty good, you know, if, if someone... Um, sees you're an Australian citizen or American or whatever, they they would contact, the, the authorities would contact, I'm sure. But you do have to take some precautions. But, but the other problem is you can get information overload before you leave. You know? Yeah. Mm, um, yeah. We, we, used, we got into the habit of, you know, we're a day out from a border, okay, well, let's have a look and see what the exchange rate is and how much of the the local currency in the country we're in have we got. Now, let's start offloading that. Now, what are we going to get at the border? Now, what, what should be the exchange rate? And if we get pretty close to that, we'll be like, yep, we do that sort of planning, mm -hmm. but uh, I reckon you can over-plan it somewhat. We, we I've never, seen have, a lot. You could, we never you have a Google. number for the consulate. I mean, you can Google street what the border crossings are going to be like. You can read someone's blog on which building to go to in which order. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you can yeah. do everything. I sometimes wonder if we're guilty of this on this program because we often sort of talk about stuff, which I assume a majority of people who listen to us are people who are thinking about riding off. And it, I think it could be quite daunting when you say, well, you've got to do an off-road course and you've got to do a first aid course and you've got to do a mechanics course and wouldn't leave without doing this and make sure you've got that. And I think, you know, in my defence, this is why I tend to downplay it a lot of the time because I really didn't do any of that and I got away with it. So, yes, it's all really good advice, but you can do it without. <laughs> yep. Well, our first aid kit's got really on. important things like um, – Deep heat and Vicks vapor rub and something to stop things from stinging when you get bitten. That's oh, it. Yeah. We hardly did a first aid course. Second use for Vegemite, Shirley. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want Listen, any smart remarks you, you, about Vegemite. There's a lot of Marmite <laughs> I've been seeing at breakfast lately and I'm just not too happy about that. Have you got a rash on your bum? <laughs> <laughs> Moving on rapidly. No, she actually, I, I, she I actually got a bite on her leg and it, um, she got cellulitis in her, in her lower leg. And um, we contacted her. Right I said, well, let's keep an eye on it. And we ended up going to a hospital um, in, Whitby. in Whitby to get some antibiotics. Normally we carry a broad-based antibiotics with us because we're only doing a two-month trip. We didn't bother this time. And I'd just like to say it. I found it a little ironic that I live in the country where everything will kill you. <laughs> and I have come yeah. I have come to a place where it's supposed to be really gentle, 
and I get bitten by a bug sitting out in the garden and right. end up in bloody hospital with cellulitis. It's just not good enough. <laughs> but well, one of our friends is... So you put Vegemite on your leg and got bitten. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, it, it didn't work. But, you know, talk about planning, you know. You can get all those services anywhere in the world, you know. I've, I've been to a dentist in Chile who was lovely, actually, and gave me a kiss at the end of it. God, But in the, a doctor in um, South Africa... Yeah, but, but, you know, but when you're in trouble, services. like really in trouble, which yeah. I think is what Jim's yeah, getting yeah, at, yeah. we do not carry numbers for the consulate no, or don't. the embassy no. or anything sensible. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I was just going to interject here. Um, it's all well and good, but if you're a disaster magnet, then you kind of need to do these things because they can save you bacon. And being a disaster magnet, um, it has been useful from time to time. And, you know, with the British embassies, for example, yeah, I do find a list and I carry it, addresses and telephone number. And when I'm going into countries that I know have a dodgy reputation, then I let the embassy know that I'm there and I let the embassy know when I'm not there, uh, you know, when I've moved on. Because to me, that's that just works. And I don't want to cause anybody else any grief by me going missing and nobody knowing where the hell I am. But having said that, um, it's very different now with the ease of contact. Back in the time of um, post-restante um, com- you know, communications and not yeah. emails and all yeah. of the rest of it, mm-hmm. it's, yeah. it's different. And now you can be so instantly in contact um, and so many um, developing world countries have way better internet connections than we do. I mean, traveling in the States, for example, I'm, I'm frequently gobsmacked at how difficult it is to get a decent Wi-Fi signal, yeah. um, frequently in the UK too. Um, but you go to some countries in Africa and that's it, ping, you're on instantly and it's a really good quality connection. I mean, there's lots of historical reasons for that. And, you know, I think you can't plan for everything that might go wrong. Um, and if you did try to, um, you know, to think about all of the what-ifs too much, then you might never blooming well go because you'd end yeah. up putting yourself off. And the reality is that things don't often go wrong, but they can. And then it is a case of having thought about it as much as possible and then basing on, on your thought processes at the time that will get you through. And a lot of this stuff is complete common sense, you know, carrying copies of all of your paperwork. So uh, replacing a passport, for example, if you've got a photocopy of your passport, the relevant pages, getting a temporary one is so easy. But if you don't have it, it's just that much more difficult. And it's, it's things like leaving copies of all your paperwork and contact details um, with a responsible member of your family back at home. Because then if something does go pear-shaped, there isn't a set, you, you know, you've fallen over in a river two days before and everything's got completely drenched and smudged and so on. And then all of a sudden you need to have copies and you've drowned the originals as well that somebody at home has got or you've got them on a waterproof memory stick. There, it's so much easier to do these things. But a lot of it also comes down to common sense stuff, doesn't it? It's things like don't get yourself in trouble by not paying attention to the simple stuff, like um, people who go the length of Africa and have no idea what's happening with the weather patterns. 
and they end up riding through Zaire or the Congo in the middle of the big rainy season and they get themselves into all sorts of trouble. And when I hear stories about people who have done that, I just think, for goodness sake, why did you do that? You just didn't do your homework and no wonder you've got yourself in trouble and now you're putting loads of other people out to try and get you out of, the, the, of trouble because you didn't do the basics. And a lot of preparation and dealing oh, with yeah. things that go wrong is dealing with the basics, isn't it? Yeah, you got to do your homework up front for sure. Uh, we just had um, a Japanese couple write us. Um, they have to go home to Japan from Alaska because their bag was stolen and took their one credit card. And the only way they can get that credit card replaced is at their home address in Japan. Oh, oh, God. One you know, credit I mean, card. No. Come on, one credit card. You can't do that. You've got to have a, a range, a selection of credit cards. Uh, we were in Morocco a couple of years ago, and we discovered that we couldn't use our credit card to pay for the hotel we were at for a week. This was for a hum event, and we had to pay cash. Oh, dear. So we pulled out our credit cards and we walked around to every ATM machine in town very carefully and one card would work in one machine and it wouldn't work in another, but a different card would work in that one. And we slowly managed to accumulate uh, our daily maximum amounts by spreading out four or five credit cards in the various machines. It's just, that's the way it is. You, know, you may have to do that. So one credit card is not enough, and you need to have the various credit cards spread around between you, the bike, your bag, your your hidden wallet, whatever you've got. But if you if everything gets stolen, now what? You know, like what? Sam yeah. mentioned, um, a memory stick. Hey, that's great. What if it's stolen along with everything else, and you're standing there in your underwear? Oh, okay. oh goodness. I mean, now what do you do? I mean, there is the cloud now for storage Exactly. That's what course, I was just coming to. Which makes things a bit easier. Yeah, you should have all of that stuff, not just on a memory stick, but in your email account. Yeah, and it, it, yeah. it, is, it is very easy these days to be sensible, isn't it? It's all there yeah. for you. All the tools are there for you. And, and having those backups does, does make total sense. It's just making sure that somebody else might know where those backups might be if, you, if you're yes. not able to kind of deal with it. And, but, but everybody loves somebody who's well-organized, actually, because, you know, I'm talking about my dad again, but my, my dad, he was our support driver. I used to run tours in Morocco, desert tours in Morocco. My dad came, and, came to be our support driver for a while. And he was one of those people that kind of people giggled at because, you know, he he was ready for anything. So if somebody had a, a cut, uh, you know, well, initially they giggled because he's like, OK, this guy's got, you know, he's, he's got everything prepared. And actually, as we hit the road, somebody gets a cut. He's got a plaster. Somebody gets a bite. He's got some cream. But somebody had a headache. He's got the tablet. You know, um, somebody had a problem with the bike. He knows how to fix it. Or he had a cable tie or the right piece of equipment to deal with it. And and actually, you know, it 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 saves so much headache if you do go prepared. Yes, yes. Steph, you know, it you've just been make, making me think about a comment that you hear um, flung out so casually nowadays, and that is. I bet you were a Boy Scout. Yes. <laughs> that, that old thing, being prepared. And, and then yeah. when you were a Boy Scout, these were the things that you were taught, wasn't it? Well, so yeah, exactly right. Well, someone's been looking in the bottom of Cheryl's pannier because I've got a full toolkit there. I could just about strip the bike down with it. Um, yep. But you've got to carry these things, you know, a little bit of... Uh, we do hose. actually have Band-Aids and... Yeah, we do. Have, we have all that well, sort of stuff. Not just but I was, I was going to say, when we did the last trip across the stands and, and down towards Afghanistan, um, the kids were a bit concerned and we got a, a spot tracker. 
so the kids could follow us live if they wanted to, and every night we would press a button so they knew we were okay. And uh, that was more peace of mind. But if the shit hit the fan, you could press an SOS button and the nearest emergency service would come to you. You know, all that is available now for a very, very reasonable price. And it's cheap insurance, to be quite honest with you. My, yep. my only thing with those things is that if you if you just get into a habit of pressing a button every night to say I'm okay, we made it. What happens about when the time when you don't mm. when you forget? You know, you you something happens and you just yeah. completely forget, and then that causes extra stress. Uh, you yeah, know, that's true. Well, so. we we did that once, and they and you get an email, you know, and you'll get internet service everywhere apart from the UK and the US. <laughs> But, um, uh, yeah, yeah, we got an email from my eldest boy, Steve. Are you okay? Are you okay? I haven't seen you. Well, you haven't moved for a while. Yeah, we, we're just staying having a look around. But um, the service, they will ring the, your contact first before they do anything else. So, look, it's not bad, actually, yeah. if, you, if you're going to those sorts of areas. You, you, you don't have to yeah. always do the check-in either. You, you, that's a choice you make. No, you, 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 you can put tracking choice. on yeah. if you want. They've got a new one yeah. out now. Uh, Spot does uh, Spot X that has a keyboard on it. We have one to try right now, um, which is pretty interesting. So you do two-way communication, which is quite handy for that sort of thing. Yeah, there is. Oh, that would be good. It's I also a matter. You need to make sure that the family at home knows not to get upset if they don't hear from you for a couple or three days. Yeah. We had exactly. a, a major incident. Well, I shouldn't. I don't know if it was a major incident, but major panic from the wife of a guy who was in South America. And she hadn't heard from him for four or five days. Well, it, it turned out that he'd just gone to a beach and there was no Wi-Fi, no phone, no nothing. But he was fine. But she was panicking because he hadn't checked in. And normally he checked in every couple of days. Mm-hmm. So you need to let people know that, you know, if you haven't heard from me in a week, there's a problem. That's exactly right, Grant. You brief, brief people properly and it's not really a problem. Yeah. I used to have um, a tracker on my – well, I had a tracker on my bike that, that um, had a setting, which I switched off immediately, that said – it sent a signal if you your bike went on more than a 45-degree angle. So if you if you fell off the bike. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> really? Yeah, Mine would be going off all the time. Oh, dear. Same. Same. I think my, my family would <laughs> spend the first six weeks thinking, cool, it's nice and quiet, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Graham, were you trying to get in there to say something or are you thinking about your Thruxton? Yeah, no, we kind of moved on from that now, so it's irrelevant, don't worry. <laughs> Jim, when we before we came on air, you were talking about um, renewing documents and things that are going to expire before you um, while you're actually on the road. And that is a really good topic because um, I haven't come across many people that actually think about doing this. You know, you've got a credit card that's going to expire. You're setting out on a three-year journey. You've got a credit card that's going to expire a year and a half into it. Are you going to want to dick around while you're in the middle of nowhere trying to get that credit card renewed? Um, or are you going to um, to talk to your credit card company when you're letting them know that you're going to go to XYZ countries um, so they don't pull the plug on your credit card because all of a sudden they're getting payments uh, or charges from weird places? Are you going to get your credit card renewed at that point so that it will last you for the duration of your trip? Well, actually, now I've thought about it, yeah, what a good idea. Um, going through all of your documents and, and official bits of paperwork, if you can do that with any of those, then what a sensible idea. Love it. You know, you know, yeah. Sam, that is such a sensible idea. And if only <laughs> I'd done it when we left Australia a month ago. 
because we both have access cards to the same bank account and they both expire at the end of this month. Oh. <laughs> and we don't get home See. until September. Luckily, we have a card oh, to get us cards. money in another from another yeah. bank. But we've got other cards. but and the, 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 That's exactly the point, Greg. You know, we've got uh, three other cards we can yeah. use. <laughs> but uh, I just think it's, it's such a relevant thing for Sam to mention because yeah, yeah, we are hands yep. up guilty. I know, but, but it. It, be fair to you, sure. You contacted that that um, institution and said we are going away and our cards will be used all over the place, so don't panic. Yeah, but they didn't say, do you know it's going to expire while you're away? They're not my mother. Yes, unfortunately they're not. Well, another one is vehicle registration. Oh. And driver's license. Now, that can be a nightmare because in Canada, the um, registration is only good for a year. And uh, here's the story, which I I think the statute of limitations has run out on it now, so I can tell it. Uh, The insurance on our registration on our bike expired when we were in Gibraltar heading for Africa. And I sent my sister in to the motor vehicle branch and said, can you renew my registration for me? And they asked, where's the bike? And I, oh, well, it's in Gibraltar. Deep silence. And, oh, it's not here. No, it, it's in Gibraltar. They're going to Africa. Oh, well, we can't renew the registration then. What do you mean you can't <laughs> renew the registration? <laughs> we can't renew the registration unless the bike is here. Okay, so this is back in 1997, and we were heading for Africa, and having had zero experience of Africa, and no, we, we didn't, hadn't talked to anybody who knew anything about going to Africa or what the situation was. All we knew was deep, dark Africa. This is going to be a scary place. So we said, well, what are we going to do about this? And I, I'm embarrassed to admit, I got on the airplane and flew back to Alberta and walked into the motor vehicle office and started screaming, basically, and went all the way up to the head of the ministry and said, I need to renew my registration. Nope. They absolutely would not renew the registration. They actually said, quote, if you bring the bike back to Alberta at six months, we will consider renewing your registration. <laughs> Uh, well, that's that's yeah. not going to work. <laughs> that's an interesting point, Grant. I, I, um, you know, I write for a magazine uh, in Australia. A, a guy wrote in from New South Wales saying that he was taking his bike overseas and he couldn't get it to a roadworthy place. So I have to have the registration of uh, the bike roadworthy every year to keep the registration. And the the lobbying bodies for motorcyclists in Australia actually had legislation or clauses put in legislation to allow people who are overseas to continue their registration and pay it. As long as soon as they got back, they they went and got their bike roadworthy or whatever. Um, But they needed prior approval because otherwise you wouldn't be able to uh, keep the registration. And in Victoria, our registration papers come out and it gives you the date that it's due. It doesn't give you the the 12 month in advance date. So when you pay it online, you have no piece of paper, you have nothing that tells uh, any border official that you have actually paid the registration. And we've had that problem. And um, we actually wrote on the the registration papers, paid on such and such a date. And we carried um, a copy of our um, bank statement to show that it had been paid, um, just as a backup. So there's little tricks and, and things like that you need to be prepared for. Another one is driver's licences. 
my driver's license doesn't indicate that I um, am capable of riding a motorcycle. All it's got is a little R. Now, you try and tell a border guard in Africa what R means. And so I had to get the legislation and print out the legislation that says R equals rider, you know. HV means you can drive a heavy vehicle, all this sort of stuff. So that's preparing, I suppose, before you go. And it's really important, isn't it, because at these border crossings, the the guys, they check this sort of stuff, don't they? They In detail. was a very good thing. Um, To finish off my story with the motor vehicle branch, so what did did I do? I, I could not renew the registration, period. Absolutely couldn't be done. So this is 1997, and we're in Gibraltar, and we just happened to meet a Canadian couple who ran the local newspaper for expats in the area. And they said, oh, well, let me see that. Oh, we can scan that. We can fix it. So we did. Oh, la, 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 I don't la, think it's called la, fixing, though. I think it's another word for it. But This is not modifying. What, I've got a couple of mates in Gibraltar that might be looking for you. <laughs> Counterfeit, uh-huh. that's the name. <laughs> that's the word. <laughs> well, so I set the registration date to expire two years out. Um, this is absolutely not something we recommend. We do not recommend you do it. It's a terrible idea. But... That's what we had to do because we had no choice. That or cancel the entire trip. And it's even less of a good idea today because with the internet and more travelers, it's entirely possible that somebody from British Columbia came through the day before. It may not be likely, but it's possible. So they would actually have seen that same document yesterday. Uh, If you're from the UK, for instance, through Morocco, they know what... Um, British registration looks like so don't try and fake it that would be really dumb uh, another one is don't fake your carnet because oh. they actually contact the uh, AIT in Switzerland and make sure that your registration numbers and information matches Grant going across um, from Nepal into India yeah. um, there must have been 15 motorcycles that have been confiscated by people who had come across um, with forged carnets uh-huh. Oh, no. Wonderful motorcycles just standing there collecting dust. Oh, no. You should see the impound place in Cairo. It's unbelievable. It's yeah. the biggest <laughs> parking lot I've ever seen in my life. And it was full of Range Rovers and motorcycles. And Truxtons? Fancy cars and trucks. You know. <laughs> and they're all illegitimate documents. The paper uh, 800% is of the value of the, the bike or, or vehicle, you can understand why. But, yeah. Yeah. Um, it's, it's insane. You and take the risk. You take the risk. Well, in Egypt, the uh, just a little, make sure you got your numbers right. The registration, the guys actually took a piece of paper and a pencil and took a rubbing of the serial number of the bike hmm. early on in the set. Half a dozen guys physically looked at both, compared that to my registration documents and all the rest of it, and made sure it was all bet, all, all fine. Yeah. Four hours later into the process, they took another rubbing and compared the rubbings. <laughs> <laughs> okay? If your numbers aren't right, they will catch it. They <laughs> so will. Right. That's the thing, you know, is that um, people are too blasé about this and think it's a game. And actually, it can it can end in serious consequences. And yeah. when I was crossing Africa, I, I struggled to get into Ethiopia. They wouldn't let me in with my British passport. They needed a letter from my British embassy saying that the, my embassy was going to take full responsibility for me. They weren't prepared to do that, of course. The only reason I got through, actually, was because I had a... 
a Canadian passport as well. And the embassy were prepared to give a slightly better letter than what the British were prepared to do. Now, the things have changed. Things change overnight, of course. And, and one rule today might be completely different tomorrow, what they expect. Absolutely. But, um, as I was looking for, for information about this and how I was going to get through Ethiopia and not have to ship across... Um, I went onto a, a Facebook page uh, that was all about crossing, overlanding in Africa. I can't remember what it's called. Um, but the administrator was advising people to copy their documents and actually uh, to fake their documents and was actually giving, showing photographic examples of what he'd done to get through. And I happened to say to him, you know, really, this is not a good idea. Plus, your information is out of date. So you're telling people to fake it. And actually, what they're faking is going to be not relevant today. Um, and, and he threw me off the Facebook page. <laughs> right. You know, yeah, but good, for, good for you, Steph. It's and a, we've thrown people off. Uh, our various forums, et cetera, because people do espouse using fake documents and fake carnets because, no, you don't do that. I mean, we did it in 97, and having had that extreme nervousness at every border crossing, especially the Egypt one, um, yeah, don't do it. <laughs> it's just not it's worth not the stress. And if it goes it. wrong, see, the problem is if it goes wrong, A, they confiscate the bike, B, yeah. they throw you in jail. Yes, it's and like you said, are smuggling. Yes, you're a criminal. You could go to jail for years, it's and like, you don't want to be in an African jail. That's a bad place to be. No. I can tell you that it is a bad place. Sam, yes, Sam, <laughs> Sam, <laughs> experience. It's like we said earlier about the the minefield. You know, just because you got through safely doesn't mean to say the person behind you is going to get through safely. You you know you you got lucky. Um, that doesn't make you clever. That makes you lucky. So, you know. Absolutely. I've what? never ever forged a document in my life, and I've never ever felt guilty about not forging the documents that I've not forged, and I've never ever been incredibly lucky about getting through with the documents yeah. that I've not forged. Exactly. Yeah. I did end up with a dilemma, though, and this is one thing that um, – so coming back into the UK, when I left the UK, uh, I had a brand new bike. I had 500 miles on it when I left the UK. Didn't need an MOT for three years, but of course I got – back to the UK more than three years later. Therefore, it needed an MOT. So what are you supposed to do when you get back onto UK land? As long as you're going, here's the, the rule, and I, this is something I had to check out in the UK myself. As long as you are or have made an appointment with an MOT place and you are on your way there, you're legal. But you have so, to be... On your way there, right? Which yes. Is, well, that's next door yep. to your house, isn't it? Yes, of course. <laughs> okay. It's, a, it's very that's, simple. It's <laughs> a bit awkward, isn't it? You know, that, that's the kind it of thing. Is. So many more people now are overlanding. We need to have something in place, really, that says, okay, well, you've been away more than a year because the MOT is yearly. You know, after three years, it's yearly. So, so lots of people go away for more than a year these days, and and they're all coming back. And what are they doing? They're not. They don't have a trailer waiting for them. So, so we're all having to actually technically break the law to get to that. No, to get just to that. make just make that appointment. That's all you have to do is make the appointment and go in that direction. And then do something um, such as when we came back, we. We knew the regulation about having books and MOT and heading straight for it in inverted commas. Um, and 
the moment we cleared our motorcycles and we were hitting the road, um, emailed the local police station and said, this is us, this is what we're doing and this is where we're going and this is what we've been doing and this is the booking we've made and then got on the bike and left. Mm-hmm. So if we had right. been stopped and pulled over, then that official notification was there to back us up. Right. Okay, Perfect. so you've got to have that official notification because, um, I mean, I... I, I mean, I'm lucky. I have a, a brother-in-law with an MOT garage, and he is actually very close to where I was going. So, you know, that that was all fine for me. And I, and I actually got a police escort into because my cousin's a policeman. In the- <laughs> it gets better and better. Your name dropping, Steph. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, now that Steph has name dropped, she's never ever forged a document. Hey, Steph. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I have never forged a document, and and I was made to feel very silly at at one point, or they tried to make me feel silly on on that because I wasn't prepared to take that risk because we're all meant to be a bit gung-ho, aren't we? A bit adventurous and a bit... But there are some things that we shouldn't be adventurous on, and I really think that that is one of them, especially when it comes to countries, you know, not necessarily the UK, uh, but, but... well, whatever, but uh, but you know, there are some places we really we shouldn't mess around when it comes to yeah. paperwork. I think it the goes basic way is don't beyond, do something stupid. Absolutely, yeah. it goes way beyond um, gut instinct. This is natural, logical instinct. You don't muck things like that around unless it's absolutely unavoidable. Oh. Yeah, and even then, there's got to be a way. There's got to be a way. Although back in '97, I didn't have a way. There was no way. I did everything I could. I mean flying back to Canada and talking to the head of the ministry. I mean, I tried. I really did. No, that was impressive, Grant. <laughs> Thank you very much. It was also stupid. It was a waste of time <laughs> and money. <laughs> well, if you, get, if you get away with it, you're brave. If you don't get away with it, you're stupid. So, yeah. Yep. Exactly. But, but, but preparing for your journey like this, it's part of the adventure. Right? It's, it's what you should do, surely. You should think about all these contingencies that you you might come across, and and um, to me, that's all part of it. Yeah. And you got how, many to- how many times we get asked this advice when uh, we're talking uh, on our travels or at a, a meeting or something like that? Everybody wants to know, and they're all concerned about the um, uh, the paperwork. That's right, Steph. Yeah. And you know, I had an email two days ago from a guy who wants advice about getting Russian visas and things like that. Well, you know, and it is a bit of a black science, but it's a bit of fun going through it all too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. And you're much better. You feel much better about it. You know, when you arrive at the border, what is required and what you need to do, and that you are prepared, and it's not going to be a big deal. Yeah. Because they can, mean, that's right, Grant. And if they can see that you've made an effort, they will help you, even if you haven't got it right. Oh, it huge. comes back. Yeah. It comes back to that word respect again, doesn't it? Yes. It's, it's, yeah. not, it's not only yeah. common sense, but it's respect. I'm moving in somebody else's country. I'm going to find out about their rules and regulations, and I'm going to do my damnedest to fit in with those because that's respect. If you respect yep. other people, you get it back. Yeah, I've, I remember walking into a border crossing behind, following somebody else who was in a car at the time. And he was asked for this document and that document, and he was digging through a mountain of paper and junk. He didn't wasn't prepared. He didn't have his act together. It was a disaster. I ended up going to the guy next to him, and pulled out my thin folder and plop 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 plop. There's my documents that you need. The guy looked at it. Yep, stamp stamp stamp. Okay, next. And that was it. I was out of there, and the guy was still there when I left, and he was not even found the first document yet. Go in there, be organized, have your documents prepared, 
good quality, make sure everything's fine, and it's easy. They yeah. like that. They, they love prob- you because you're not a problem. It's because they look yeah. at you and they think he's organized. They probably have a gut feeling about you and they think this is a good person. You always have to remember that these border guards, to the border guy, you are some stranger who could be smuggling, could be a criminal, could be a terrorist, could be anything, trying to sneak into their country. And their job is to catch you. Yeah. So if you're straightforward, you're respectful, you talk to them nice, you have your paperwork organized, okay, this is straightforward, this is organized, and this guy's got his act together, and he's, he's an okay person, no problem. Mm. Don't be a dick. It's very simple. And be I've prepared. Got, I've got to say, I've just remembered an incident where I didn't actually forge paperwork, but, and I was very honest about it, but it's the way you word things. And I, <laughs> I was the first time uh, taking a load of motorbikes into Morocco for a tour. It was the first time we'd done a tour. We were pretty much very unprepared, and uh, the route was organised off Google Earth. It was all a bit gung ho, and it was kind of a recce, but uh, but but with customers. And uh, we got to the border with 15 motorbikes in the back of a truck, and I had a pink folder with all the all the um, registration documents for, of the motorbikes, and uh, but they were photocopies, and you're supposed to take the originals. And they, I got to the border. Um, the guys that were with me locked the car doors and threw me out, and kind of said, you know, you go, Steph, you deal with it. <laughs> Because it was also alien to all of us at that point, and I walked sort of confidently to the to the border guard, and he looked at my paperwork. He says, "These not original; these copies." And I said, "Yes, yeah, no, but they're laser copies." And he, said, <laughs> <laughs> he said, "Not original." I said, "No, no, but but they're laser copies." And of course, they weren't my motorbikes; they belonged to Honda, so so I, they wouldn't give me the originals. So I had to do the copies, and and the the fact that I thought that just by saying laser copies might make them sound a little bit more official. And eventually he kind of came back to me and went, shook his head and went, you trouble, you know, and kind of smirked. Uh-huh, exactly. <laughs> Sorry. And, and that was the end of that. And they let us through. So <laughs> yeah. and sadly, if it had been a guy, it would have been worse. I, quite possibly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> would have been nastier. Well, I think we have to wrap things up here because we're, we're running long here. Um, so, yeah, Jim, yeah. Yep. Yeah, yeah, sure. um, can I just interrupt? We don't have any plugs because we're footloose and carefree at the moment. Mm-hmm. And an SMS message just came up on the device that we are speaking to you on from one of our travelling companions saying, we're on our second pint. Oh, <laughs> so, that's horrible. Do you want to be excused early? We could be excused early. Can I say this, Jim? It's a good thing that we don't have video because I just walked in and stripped off don't, my bike oh, gear and I'm sitting here <laughs> with not much on and I need to get changed so I can go and have a pint. Wow. <laughs> I have a gut feeling that you guys should just go now and get dressed. <laughs> Thank you very Can much. Can we not talk Before. about feeling Brian's gut, please? That's just... <laughs> oh. <laughs> See, it just goes down. I knew it was time to quit. Always done. Uh, yes. Okay. Sure, Brian, thank you very much for, uh, for going through the effort to, to come in. Hey, no, no worries, guys. Okay. Okay. Have a good time, guys. I want to see Have that truck on the Isle of Man, mate. Well, for plugs, why don't we start with Steph? What do you have for a plug, Steph? Oh, 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 I've got one. I got one. Um, okay, so <laughs> I am uh, next year doing a um, 
uh, an Everest base camp trip called Girls on Top, and it, the name's uh, the clues in the name. So it's a, it's a women only, and uh, you know I, I don't want any sec- I don't want any comments about oh this is this is sexist or whatever. Sometimes you know it, sometimes it makes sense to do a women only trip, especially when it comes to a physical thing, and not because we're all man haters, but because um, you know if I drop my bike and there's a guy around. Guys want to help. That's what they do. And that's a lovely thing. Um, so they want to come and help me pick the bike up. But it, that but that means that that takes away the opportunity for me to learn how to do it myself. And and so in some cases, I think there are, there isn't a good argument for women only. Um, it's not trying to exclude men, but I think it's a, a kind of a cool thing sometimes. And so that's what this is all about. We're going to get 25 women, hopefully, up from um, Kathmandu along the newly opened Friendship Highway and then through Tibet and up to Everest Base Camp. Um, I'm really excited about it. I'm, I'm hoping people are going to join me. We've got uh, we've got a few people joined up already and we've got a few places left. That's in September next year. Wow, that sounds exciting. Sounds so cool. it's a women-only trip, so can guys go? <laughs> I've had so many people say, what if I have a sex change? What if I wear a wig and a dress? You know, I'm beginning to think we should do a charity one where we kind of have a lot of guys dressed up as women. You know, that might be an idea. You never know. Hey, so how far is the or how high is the Everest base camp? Are, are you going to have trouble getting to that height? I knew you were going to ask me the details. Um, okay, so it's no, we're not. I, I mean, I, I've personally have certainly ridden higher. I think it is under 18,000 feet, 17 something um and uh we but we do have medics we have uh mechanics we we have oxygen we have all that kind of thing and we do uh, factor in rest days so to to uh, allow for acclimatization so uh, it shouldn't be a problem you never know it is an adventure of course so um you know you're riding in the himalayas but I, I think most of it is actually paved now um on that side so um the altitude is going to be the 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 biggest challenge if you like or, or um but but we're ready for it so yeah it, it should i'm really excited just to ride in tibet i've always wanted to go to tibet so mm, very yeah. excited how long does it take uh it'll be 13 days altogether and you're guiding it yeah i mean i'm working with a company called nomadic nights a friend of mine called alex who who runs that and he does a lot of trips in um in uh in the himalayas so this will be a, a first to take a, a group of all women bikers up to everest base camp but um we have a very experienced crew and backup team ready um for, for every eventuality nice so uh, what's the website they go to if they're interested uh, well, if they go to my website and look under events, so my website is it's new now instead of the one stuff beyond. It's now um, just stephjevons.com. Um, Jevons is J-E-A-V-O-N-S. So stephjevons.com and look under events. Perfect. And we'll put that link in the show notes as well. Okay. So that's a good plug. What do you have, Grant? Well, a couple of things. One, to the earlier part of the show, we were talking about um, contacts and embassy and stuff like that. I just wanted to remind people that there are 816 Horizons Unlimited communities in 115 countries. So if you're in trouble in a country, contact one of the communities. I mean, talk about a resource. Motorcycle people who want to help other motorcycle people, fantastic resource. And there's in all kinds of strange countries, 115 countries. is pretty good uh, coverage. And what's the website? Horizonsunlimited.com slash community. Yeah, the other thing I wanted to mention, too, was we still have lots of Horizons Unlimited Travelers meeting. Everybody's missed 
HU Mongolia, which was just last weekend. And they had all kinds of people from all over the world. I think we had, uh, I think it was about 10 different countries there. Oh, that was the first one uh, for that, wasn't it? That was, that was the first one for that, yeah. Nice. It was camped out in the middle of nowhere in Agur. It was very cool. We Skyped into them and had a conversation with the people there. It was great. And a big event, Hum Appalachians, is coming up September 14 to 16. If you like to ride and you don't like to follow the crowd, do what everybody else does, come join us at the Hum Appalachians where you can plan your own route, ride your own difficulty. You can ride the really easy stuff if you're a beginner off-road or if you're an expert, we've got some really hard stuff for you. September 14 to 16, Hum Appalachians. That's on the website, horizonsunlimited.com slash events. I saw a video somebody put up of running that. I, th- I think here in VC in the... Uh, yes. Yeah, that, there was That's a, a great video. Was it KTM? Yeah. Um, KTM, the guy was riding, I think so, a couple of them? The guy was on a couple, several guys, they were riding KTMs, yeah. I think, yeah. Yeah, it's a good video. Yeah. It looked like some, some yeah. good terrain they were going through. Yeah, all that video is on the website. Just go to horizonsunlimited.com slash events, and you can see several videos about the hum. Oh, very good. Graham Field, what do you have for a plug today? Uh, I don't really have one. Okay, that was <laughs> That was, that was easy. easy. Sam, what do you have for plugs? Well, this this one, um, I've got two, actually, if I may. The first one I wanted to do was to thank everybody who's been buying my audiobooks because <laughs> sales are lovely and the reviews are fantastic and I'm so pleased and it's just been brilliant. So thank you very much, everybody. Um, I hope you all continue enjoying. And the second plug was because um, it comes from the fact that I'm I'm – asked so many times how do I go about writing a book and so I get people in touch with um, the Ted Simon Foundation but um, somebody I have a huge amount of respect for is a lady called Carla King and Carla King um, specializes in helping people to learn all about writing books so how do you write it how do you get it published how do you get it um, promoted all of those sorts of things. Do you go with um, publishing house or do you go self-published um, and so on and so on. And I just thought, actually, she's doing such a cracking job with this and she's so hugely knowledgeable. I would like to point more people in her direction. So um, her website is CarlaKing.com and that's um, Carla with a C. So C-A-R-L-A-K-I-N-G dot com check her out because i'm sure you'll be really impressed and she's even got um downloadable ebooks about doing it and you can go on boot camps with her and so on but um if you've got any interest in writing a book and you haven't got a clue where to start um you're not brave enough to just go for it then check Carla out because she's going to give you a lot of really useful hints and tips and guidance and so on. And you can cut out um, the element of buzzing around like a fly in a glass jar and constantly pounding against the side trying to get out. Um, Carla King can help you. So, yeah, those are my plugs. Steph, I just want to say thank you very much for coming on to the show. We had a great time with you. Thank you. I don't don't know about gut instinct, but my bladder instinct is really kicking. (laughs) (laughs) Well, there you go. (laughs) Nice one, Sam. Grant, Sam, Graham, thanks very much. Okay. Nice talking to you all. See you. Cheers. Bye.
Well, that wraps things up for this month's ARR Raw. I want to thank my co-host, starting with Sam Manicom, who lives in the UK, has four books and audiobooks uh, out for you to follow along on his eight-year motorcycle journey around the world. He also writes articles and does presentations. You can find out more about Sam at his website, sam-manicom.com. Shirley Hardy Ricks and Brian Ricks from Australia also have some great moto travel books. Uh, They also do articles. Brian does regular contributions to an Australian magazine. Also, um, their books are available through the usual ebook outlets around the world, or you can go by their website, www.aussiesoverland.com.au. Graham Field lives in Bulgaria and is an author of some really great adventure motorcycle books, audiobooks. He's got t shirts and a whole bunch more available at www.gramfield.co.uk. And of course, Grant Johnson is from Horizons Unlimited, which is the hub literally for the adventure motorcycle community. Horizons Unlimited has tons of up to date travel information and a huge forum to connect travelers from around the world. They also put on the Hub Meets Around the World. See their Hub website for a list of those uh, events going on at www.horizonsunlimited.com forward slash events. Special thanks to our producer, Elizabeth Martin. My name is Jim Martin, and thanks for listening. We're going to see you next month. 